Welcome to the NDIS Property Australia podcast. Before starting this episode, we need to provide a general disclaimer. Information contained in this podcast is general in nature only. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular person. You need to consider your financial situation and needs before making any decisions based on the information in this podcast. And you should consider seeking independent and professional advice for your personal circumstances. All right, let's begin. Hello all. Welcome again to a podcast with NDS Property Australia. I thought I'd... uh cover today a topic which has been um, in the in the forefront of a lot of investors' minds, and that is the decision-making by the NDIA with regards to funding approvals and then also the process of appeals uh, with regards to people's fundings. Now, we've covered in the past uh, podcasts with um, Dante and Emilita about SDA approvals processes already over two different podcasts, and today I want to go through more detailed stats and data on a recent report that was issued by the Housing Hub with the Public Interest Advocacy Centre, uh, which was in May 2022, just a few about a week ago, on the facts and figures behind what they've discovered with regards to the um, the funding and appeals process. Before I begin on the detailed summary of it all, I want to cover the, the stats of what the, the data, the research have, have come back with. So we're looking at a, a total pool of 357 participants the the mean the mean or the average age being 47 years old and the range of the age between 18 and 70 193 were males 157 were females um, the the primary disabilities were acquired by brain injury 46 being 12.9 percent cerebral palsy 49 participants at 13 10 percent Multiple sclerosis, MS, at 10.1%. Other neurological conditions, 38, 10.6%. 12 participants with intellectual disabilities at 3.4%. Other physical at 49 participants, 13.7%. Other, 31, which is 8.7%. Progressive neurological is 19, 5.3%. Stroke, 21 participants at 5.9%, and spinal cord injury, 56, at 15.7%. So the majority of these participants who are going through this whole process in this um, in this report were 207 participants who are living at home, 58%, uh, 34 individuals at 9.5% in residential aged care, hospital was 30, 8.4%, supported accommodation, 38, at 10.6%, Crisis housing and transitional housing, 17 at 4.8%, and other 8.7%. The largest state here was New South Wales at 33%, uh, Victoria, 29%, Southern Australia, 14%, Western Australia, 6.7%, Queensland, 11.5%, and ACT, 2.2%. Interestingly, in this report, it shows that 54% of, of these participants uh, their funding does not align with their request. So what that means is when participants have a request to live in shared housing or or individual uh, sole occupancy of a dwelling, uh, that's their request, that's how they live. So based on the concept of choice control, and 54% have said they didn't get what they wanted. And only 21% 
achieved the result they wanted from the NDIA in terms of funding approvals. From a macro perspective, uh, the report really goes into detail about the decision-making process, decision-making structures for the NDIS funding. And this is, has four components of it, reasonable and res- necessary uh, funding criteria, the processes for requesting the NDIS funding itself. Thirdly, the reviewing and appealing of the NDIA funding decisions. And lastly, the existing legal support for the appeals. So we'll go through that in a minute. Um, also, on top of this, is the the outcomes and wait times for SDA funding decisions. So it's part of this process here. We have the demographics of participants requesting SDA, which we'll cover soon. Uh, the initial funding decisions, how they come about. The internal reviews of the initial funding decisions. And external reviews of the initial funding decisions. And then also the accuracy and the outcomes of SDA funding decisions. The problems with the NDIA decision making uh, comes down to a few handful of, of topics. And I wanted to cover the reasons why there are all these issues and challenges, problems in NCA funding for participants. The NDIA regularly makes funding decisions that ignore the preferences of the participants, and they, they often deny people the right to live with and who they want. Um, the NDIA decision-making is often unfair and opaque and delayed um, because these delays in the, decision, the decision-making does cause a lot of stress to participants. The NDIA often disregard evidence and documents provided by participants and their um, consultants. Those consultants would be physiotherapists, OTs, doctors, uh, and another therapist. Um, And the opaque process of this SDA decision is also an issue with regards to people not really understanding how it all works. The NDIA also makes regular and significant errors in the administration process. Incorrect and misleading advice to participants often occurs and the uh, interactions and consequences of the process issues has impact upon the administration of the whole scheme. And then also, the NDI regularly fails to meet the obligations to the participants when they're reviewing the funding decisions. So they fail to give adequate reasons for their decisions. Uh, there's also poor conduct of the NDI lawyers who are engaged, external lawyers, law firms that the NDI pay for. In the, in the AAT, um, Tribunal Litigations, and then also their refusal to publish settlement outcomes at the AAT. With SDA, the, um, the SDA is its housing, which is specifically designed to meet the needs of people who have extreme functional impairment. We all know this. Um, and the, the foundation of the NDIS is to provide funding to participants who need this, need SDA, to live independently in a property that meets their needs and gives them access to the right supports. Um, so even though the SDA funding is designed to increase choice and control for participants in the NDIS, uh, including providing them with providing for people who live alone or in the type of home they prefer, many of the people with high support needs, they find themselves funneled into group homes. So imagine if you were a wheelchair participant, as an example, who wants to live in a two-bedroom apartment to be a parent to their children who come over once or twice a week, but yet you're funneled into a group house, a group home with four other people. So how does a person who's a participant in the NDIS have spend time with the kids when they're living with other group in a group home full of other adults? So a group home basically is a dwelling with four or more participants. And this kind of example is really concerning as 
these group homes for people who want to live by themselves are often associated with poor outcomes for some people with disability. So residents of group homes generally have limited say about who they live with and there are few opportunities to grow more independent and reduce support needs over time. The whole purpose of the SDA is to um, let people live in the community and live independently and to assimilate into society. And if they can't get their choice and style of living in the home they want, how they want, how are they supposed to um, reduce their independence from carers and, and whatnot? Living in an environment that is not adaptable to the needs of people with disabilities will diminish their choice and control, and which thereby goes against what the whole NDA is all about, which is reducing support costs. So if only there was another way, a better way for participants to get their required living supports in the dwellings they need, then that would be a better outcome for them, obviously. Beyond the concerns about independence, flexibility and choice, the Royal Commission on the Disability has found that people residing in group homes are vulnerable to violence, abuse and neglect. Similarly, in assessing, you know, in Australia's observance of the, the rules and policies with the United Nations, has raised concerns about the dis- disability-specific residential institutions that limit, limit the autonomy of people with disability. So because of these issues, it's uh, unsurprising that many of the, of the NDS participants have needs and preferences that are best met in a single occupant dwelling. And despite this, the group homes remain the most common SDA option out there in the community, available for people with high support needs. So the NDIA shows that over 60% of places in SDA are, are in dwellings for four or more people. And remember, having a carer plus four or more people is looking at a five-bedroom group home. That's a that's a very congested home environment for a participant to live in. The most important part of the SDA funding in the NDIS is the pillar of 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 like the foundation pillar of the assessment: reasonable and necessary. This is the the, the basis of funding criteria. So you apply this criteria to. Um, you know, there's probably eight criteria there for people via the system to assess the participants. And that is the assistance to pursue goals, objectives, and aspirations. Um, the assistance to undertake activities to facilitate social and economic participation. Is it value for money? Um, the effective and beneficial with regard to current good practice. Um, is it most appropriately funded through the NDIS? Is it either extreme functional impairment or very high support needs? and the SDA needs requirements. These are the eight criteria which must be satisfied for a person to be considered eligible for a given level of SDA funding. And those SDA fundings are improved ability, robust, fully accessible, and high physical support. So for the participants assessed as eligible to receive support from the SDA, the agency must determine the SDA building type, the SDA design category, and the location factor of the SDA that's reasonable and necessary to support the uh, participant. The, and the, obviously the, the appropriate building type really is the apartment, villa, duplex, townhouse, or a house. And then how many bedrooms are in the house that is necessary as well for them to live in. So the process of re- requesting in-desk funding from a participant's point of view is that the ways to request and review is they need the initial funding decision. So the participants must submit a request to the NDIA for funding for housing or support to be allocated to their NDAS plan, and then the NDIA will make a decision. The agency's current participant participant service guarantee, PSG, 
policy sets a target of 56 days to make an initial funding decision and to communicate this outcome to the participant. Then there's an internal review. If the participants believe the NDIA decision is unreasonable, they they may request an internal agency review. The NDIA will then need to reconsider the original funding request and make a decision to confirm, vary or set aside that um, that decision. Then the participants have three months from the time they receive the decision to request an internal review. Then there's the uh, external review. So if the participants believe that the decision following the internal review is still unreasonable, they may apply for external review by the AAT, and they have 28 days in which to request an external review of the agency's decision. The process of getting funding is really complex and, and long drawn out. The requests for SDA funding generally require the participant to provide the following evidence, at a minimum, to support the request. One, a housing goal in the NDS plan. Two, a participant housing statement. Three, a home and living request form. Four, a functional capacity assessment by a suitable allied health professional. And five, additional assessments to support the application if needed. Once the, uh, the agency reviews and decides on the design of the category, the building type, the location, location and supports, they will then communicate the decision back to the planner. If the home and living panel rejects the participant's application for funding or chooses to fund a different type of SDA than what was being requested, the participant may ask for that decision to be reviewed. And in order for the decision to be reviewed, it is very important that participants receive information about the NDIA's funding decisions in writing. Just to give you a, a snapshot of how long it takes, in the initial funding decision normally takes about 97 days on average, and then the internal review is 99 days on average, and then the external review is 205 days on average. So we're looking at a possible total time of 400 days for a participant to go through the whole process. So to, to add more information on the outcomes and wait times for SDA funding decisions, since 2017, mid-17 mid until pretty much now, last year, 2021, there were 600 participants who pursued a request for SCA funding revision. Of the participants in that process there, 200 of them, of the 600, were coming from private homes. So actually, no, no, it was 200 from the 357 sample pool of applicants, so almost half were coming from private homes. Um, most of them were coming from New South Wales, 33%, and Victoria, 29%. So 62% around of all the applicants were coming from those two states there. The possible wait time, as we said earlier, was 400 days, so a year and a bit. And this is important because a lot of investors got to understand that the time frame it takes to, to procure tenants, participants with SDA funding is not just the SIL funding, SDA funding and the, and the, um, review appeal with the AAT. Um, and you cannot, ex investors cannot expect three tenants in the first, on day one when the house is completed. One of our providers we've worked with in the past, they've said the common process or average time frame is one in the first month. So for a four-bedroom house, so carer, OOA, plus three participants, the outcome is normally one in the first month, the anchor tenant, anchor participant, and then one in the second month and one in the third month. So it probably takes about three months. Even after waiting for a whole year, 12 months, during construction, if that's the time frame, 
of procuring tenants, it takes another three months after completion to fill the house up. Because as much as participants are okay to apply online or write a piece of paper showing the floor plans, they really want to see a completed house. To see a completed house, walk into it, physically see it, touch it, is what they want to do. Okay? So SDA funding is one thing, but they will normally only really apply, really apply, once they've seen the house. Okay? And also there's a bit of time lag between them exiting their current accommodation scenario right now, giving notice to the landlord, and then also getting their um, their furniture and their funding in place with the government as well. So for, furniture for the for their private living in this um, shared arrangement, and then also the SDA funding in place with regards to possible um, funding with regards to the house, the rooms. So just so you know, when a HPS house, for example, is built, it's it's provisioned for certain things. So, provi- so the the um, the ceiling rail of the hoist, ceiling hoist, that's provisioned for ceiling hoist, not actual ceiling hoist. The automation of the um, automation technology in the house, which is the voice activation blinds, voice activation um, uh, lights and aircon, all that kind of stuff is also provisioned for that as well. So the government pays for those automation costs. The government pays for the ceiling hoist. Okay, so when a participant is approved for that particular dwelling, then you'll see you'll see the government putting the money to install those costs there. So there's a bit of back and forth of logistics, preparing for a participant moving to a house, and after the procurement, obviously, and that's why it's important to have the time frame in an investor's budget to allow for participants coming in over the first two or three months after completion. As mentioned earlier, the the systematic problems of the NDA decision-making has come down to really the NDA making funding decisions that ignore the preferences of participants. Um, the most common type of, of SDA decision that ignores their needs involves funding people who want to live on their own or with their family uh, instead to live with people who need SDA either in a group home or with housemates that they don't know or have not chosen. And that's really hard for them to live in, in that kind of environment. They'd rather live with people they know and their family. This often happens even when where the participant has very good reasons for not wanting to live in a shared home. For instance, people with serious mental health concerns have in some cases been told that they will only be funded if they live in shared accommodation, despite mental health professionals providing evidence to the agency that the person is at risk of serious harm or even suicide if they cannot live in a house of their own. An example of, uh, of where the NDIA overlooks needs and preferences I have a case study here in front of me, and I'll read it out to you. Um, Katrina is a woman in her early 40s who is an NDS participant. She applied for SDA and requested to live alone for a number of reasons. As Katrina is immunocompromised, living with other people, particularly with COVID, circulating in the community, would place her at risk of catching life-threatening disease. Katrina has experienced anxiety and poor mental health when she's forced to constantly worry about exposure to disease, such as in a shared home where other people, other persons, constantly other persons, visitors and care staff are circulating regularly. Katrina also works from home as a creative professional and would like a quiet workspace rather than needing to try and cram a desk into her bedroom. 
Finally, Katrina also values her privacy, independence, and is at a stage of her life where she would like to have her own, her own space and home. So she provided all the above information to the NDIA, along with expert reports and other evidence to support her reasons for her request. The agency agreed that Katrina required SDA, but would only agree to fund her for a shared SDA with another person. So Katrina has also faced, has faced a series of rejections by the NDIA since first requesting a single occupant SDA in 2020, and has recently applied to AAT for external review of this decision. In contrast, let's look at an example where the AAT uh, overturns an India decision. Um, the participant known as LW, it's called L, to protect her anonymy, um, asked to live in a single occupant SDA. Among the reasons she gave or for wanting to live alone was her mental health. This was supported by a number of reports from psychological experts. The NDIA nonetheless refused to fund her for SDA to live alone. So when L case went to the AAT, the NDIA agreed that only funding her to live with other people would be likely exacerbate her depressive and anxious symptoms and that there was a real possibility that L would may take her own life if she faced the prospect of sharing SDA. So despite this, the NDIA still argued that L should only be funded to live in a shared accommodation since this may be cheaper for the NDIA to fund. So there you go. It's all about the money. So in November 21, the AAT ultimately decided that L should be given funding for SDA where she could live alone because the risks to her mental health were sufficiently severe to justify the additional costs in providing a single occupant SDA. However, this result was only reached after a lengthy review process. So in summary, you can see that the comp- it's a very complex process getting SDA funding. You know, one, two years just to get your SIL funding and the SDA funding and then even an appeal process could be potentially up to three years. And as a result, a lot of the participants so just give up after halfway through because it's just too tiring, too costly, too tiring, just too draining for them. So with the NDIA, the agency using big-time lawyers, external lawyers from law firms to fight little mum and dad with the participant, it's just it's just a grinding out process, and they often you know, a lot of people just walk away, giving up their hand, throwing up their arms, and you know, in defeat, which is often a big issue with regards to the SDA funding in the NDIA and participants. So uh, I hopefully hopefully we'll see more outcomes in the um, AAT tribunal process with participants fighting the NDA with wrong decisions or wrong wrong funding in place, and hopefully we'll see a better outcome long-term. So this is merely a uh, – today's podcast really is a, a follow-up to the two previous podcasts that we had with um, Dante from Adapt Housing, just to show a bit more detail as to what goes on behind the, um, the funding process and the appeals process and uh, how hard it can be for participants. So when investors wonder why it takes a year or more to find participants – the thing is, you've got to realise it takes a year or more, a year and a half to build a house. The contracts process finance and settlement and building a house. But more importantly, it takes people time. Um, after even, even, even being identified as a participant for a house, it takes the providers time to help wait for their, the participants to get approved funding for SDA uh, from the NDIA and also from the appeals process. Hence the reason why I wanted to cover today this, a, a brief snapshot of this lengthy uh, process that people go through to get funding. But anyway, look, that's 20 minutes of hard information and, and research and data. Uh, I think that's enough for today. just want to give uh, our listeners a, a, an appreciation for the hard work that allied health professionals do out there, go through, uh, to help participants with their appeals process and the, and the funding process. 
And that really is the, the purpose of today's podcast. Anyway, moving on. Today's over and we'll wait for our next podcast coming up soon. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure that you are subscribed and following us so that you can keep in the loop with all of our upcoming episodes. We would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star rating, a written review, and to share this episode with those that can benefit. Until next time, catch you on the next episode.